One of the challenges that we face when we've been Christians for a long time is that of familiarity. Familiarity. And so then our thoughts of him become too few and too small. We've heard the miraculous stories and they cease to impress. They cease to amaze us. We've heard this before. What else have you got? And we lose the sense of awe and and wonder, even incredulity and disbelief if it were not for faith. There's a story that takes place in Joshua chapter 10 that serves as a good example by way of introduction. Now, now we're going to look at the conquest of Jericho, Lord willing, next week. You may remember from Sunday school or your Bible reading that Joshua led the people of Israel into the land of promise. Moses, whose story uh, we'll finish today, has died, and Joshua has taken the reins of leadership. After 40 years of wilderness wanderings, finally, uh, they crossed the Jordan rather miraculously and conquered Jericho. That is an amazing story. The conquest begins. Roll the clock forward a little while, a few weeks, months at the most, to Joshua 10. The Gibeonites, who have entered a covenant with Israel, are attacked by a coalition of five kings of the Amorites. They're part of the Canaanite clan. The Gibeonites sent a cry for help to Joshua who shows up with his army. They have to march through the night 25 miles, rise in elevation of 4,000 feet, but they catch the five kings as a result by surprise. We pick up the story in Joshua 10, verses 8 and following. The Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. And Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And they fled from before Israel. While they were at the descent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than those uh, whom uh, the sons of Israel killed with the sword. That's the first miraculous story uh, in this account. Joshua goes up against this coalition and and he routs them. They flee before the armies of of Israel. But but while fleeing, God himself got in the act and hurled huge hailstones at the fleeing army such that more of them died from the hailstones than the swords of the Israelites. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, God has pretty good aim. They are involved in hand-to-hand combat, and only the bad guys died, not the Israelites. The story doesn't end there. As they are fleeing, Joshua does not want to let the enemy get away, apparently under the cover of darkness. This is a great battle opportunity in their conquest of Canaan, five kings. So the story continues. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon and O moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped 
until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies? Is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was not a day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. I want you to understand what we just read. Joshua is chasing the enemy. The sun is apparently about to descend, but Joshua does not want to lose his advantage. So he cries out to the Lord. Notice he actually is, he's not talking to the sun. He's talking to the Lord. Oh, sun and moon stand still. And verse 13 actually says the sun stood still and the moon stopped. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky for about a whole day. I suppose that's about 24 hours. Okay, what else you got? Are you kidding me? You understand this is a bona fide miracle. This cannot happen. We understand that the sun doesn't actually rise and set, but rather the earth spins on its axis, and it does so in about a 24-hour period, give or take. So the, the sun appears on the horizon in the east each morning, and it disappears on the opposite horizon in the west each evening. And, and, the, and it's dark through the night as the sun is on the other side of the planet as the earth is spinning. Earth Science 101, we know that. But with the exception of the resurrection, there is hardly another miracle in the Bible that is more difficult to reconcile with science than this one. This is crazy. This can't happen. One author suggests the problems for geophysics are so great that some other solution has been eagerly sought by scholars, both liberal and conservative. Can't happen. So, so, so what are some of those other solutions? Well, some suggest this was just poetic language. I mean, Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua was poetically asking for them to be able to do two days' work in, in one day. That's possible, I suppose, in Judges chapter 5, in the Song of Deborah. Uh, after Israel's victory against some other Canaanites, she sings that even the stars fought for, for, Israel, uh, for the Israelites. Possible. Another solution is Joshua. Well, he didn't actually ask for the sun to stand still, but to stop shining. The word for stand could, or stand still could be rest. Proponents of this view say in the heat of the day, the already fatigued Israelites who just marched through the night to engage this particular battle were wilting in the heat. So Joshua called for some cloud cover. The challenge with this view is that the text says that the sun stood still and delayed going down for about a day, and there's not a single mention of cumulonimbus clouds. Yet another view suggests that either, I love this one, either Mars or Venus passed by especially close, or perhaps a comet, so as to provide light through the night. To that I would say, they would have to have been very close to have been mistaken for the sun. Uh, I leave for work very early every day, usually still dark, and I have noticed recently that Venus has been shining on the horizon rather brightly, but I have never walked out my front door and said, oh, look, the sun. <laughs> Another very popular view and often held by conservative scholars is God somehow refracted the sun's rays to make it look like it was still up there. 
and provided the necessary light. This indeed would be miraculous, a giant mirror or prism um, in, the, in the sky. That would be amazing. Now, why is this, along with the other views, um, so often put forth? Well, again, the sun is not actually rising and setting. The earth is spinning on its axis. Or Science 101. To, to say that the sun stopped in midair is, is actually to say that the earth stopped spinning on its axis. And science tells us that is not possible. Of course it isn't. That's why it's called a miracle. Now, we use the word miracle like for everything. You won't believe it. I had a tea time for one o'clock and it was raining cats and dogs. I got to the first tea and it stopped raining. It was a miracle. No, it wasn't. It stopped raining. <laughs> miracle goes against the laws of, of science. To stop spinning would have been utter chaos. While I am not a scientist, I understand that for the earth to stop, suddenly stop spinning would have flung everybody off into space. Think of it this way. You're in a car and you're driving along 60 miles an hour, no seatbelt on, you hit a tree and come to a sudden stop. Where do you go? Through the windshield? Now imagine going, being on the earth, spinning at 1,000 miles an hour and coming to a sudden stop, then everybody, everything that's not tied down on the planet would have been flung into space. This can't happen. Of course, another possible explanation of the miracle is that God stopped the earth on its axis. That the God who created everything that we see, the God who holds uh, together everything by the word of his power, is able to do miracles even if we do not understand how. He did, after all, create everything out of nothing. What that means to us, by the way, is that God is powerful enough to faithfully fulfill his promises to his people. To faithfully fulfill his promises to you. If he can stop the earth from spinning, he can take care of you. No obstacle, no matter how big it may appear to us, is at all a problem for God. The point is, it was a big miracle. One which is supposed to make us stop and say, wow, God is awesome. Exactly. Not look for some explanation as to what happened as, as if God could not really do something like this. And by the way, if I get to heaven and God says, um, actually, Scott, it was just poetry, but thanks for thinking so highly of me, I think I'll be okay with that. That is a rather long intro to say that there is a reason that we call it the Christian faith. That there is a reason we believe in things hoped for yet not seen because the God that we cannot see, the invisible God of the universe, has proven himself over and over. You do understand our faith is not in nothing. We look at what God has faithfully done in the past and we trust him for the future. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's big enough, you see, God, to, to, to handle any challenges that we might face. And, and, and big enough, strong enough, faithful enough to fulfill the, his promises to us. And so the author of Hebrews, the book that we are continue, uh, continuing to study, is giving us a great list of, of Old Testament characters who believe God despite the challenges in doing so. The, the, the challenges of opposition. The challenges of suffering, 
even when our faith costs us. The challenges of not receiving the, the fullness of the promises in our lifetimes. The challenges of trusting God and His Word despite the miraculous, perhaps even the seemingly ridiculous nature of our faith. Really, He stopped the world, like on His axis. And so, my brothers and sisters, what have you got that is too big for Him? God has proven himself reliable. So let's trust him and be amazed by his miraculous, faithful power on behalf of his people. Last week, we began a, a quick two-week study in, in our look at Hebrews 11 at the life of Moses. I say quick because if we studied Moses fully from Exodus to Deuteronomy, well, that would take a while. But we're just looking at a, a quick overview of his life as highlighted by the author of Hebrews as he uses Moses as an example of enduring, that's an interesting word, the only place it appears in the New Testament, enduring, persevering faith, even in the unbelievable, even in the ridiculous. Let's read the text, starting with what we looked at last week to set the context into our verses for today, starting Hebrews 11, verse 23 and following, say this, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, you understand that not being afraid because of faith is, is key to this text. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who, who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. <laughs> We've heard these stories, you know, the Passover and the Red Sea. What else have you got? They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry ground, dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Really? Five times. The author uses this phrase, by faith. Meaning he's highlighting Moses' life and actions prompted by his faith. By faith, his parents hit him. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. And by faith, the guy crossed the Red Sea. Now, we looked at the first two last week, demonstrating that Moses chose mistreatment with the people of God and the reproach of Christ he chose that over the treasures and pleasures of Egypt, everything that this world has to offer. The application to we readers was rather obvious. While it may cost you to be a follower of Jesus, it is worth it. These people of old did follow their example all the way until you die. Today, as we continue the story, we see Moses, by faith, trusted God to do the impossible, the, the ridiculous. 
He trusted in him who is unseen because after all, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And then now what were those impossible things? They, there are three. They form our outline. By faith, Moses left Egypt. And then by faith, Moses kept the Passover. And by faith, Moses, leading the people, crossed the sea. It's amazing. Now, right away, that first one might throw you off a bit because the verse actually says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And you go, how does that show faith? And if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, uh, uh, in Exodus chapter 2, after he killed the Egyptian, we looked at this last week, for abusing that Hebrew slave, hit the dead guy in the sand, Pharaoh somehow found out about it. And Exodus says that Moses feared Pharaoh's wrath and fled Egypt. <laughs> so how is that an act of faith? Further, what do we do with the seeming contradiction? Many acknowledge the apparent contradiction. So what do we do with that? Consider carefully the text in Exodus chapter 2. It's the next day. It's after he's killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand, and there are a couple of Hebrew slaves that are f- fighting with each other, and Moses tries to step in to mediate, and one says, who made you a prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely this matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well, and thus began the next 40 years of his life. The first 40 were, uh, were in Egypt, raised in Pharaoh's household. The second 40 will be in Midian. The third 40 will be leading the Israelites um, out of Egypt in the wilderness. But, but notice the story in Exodus 2. The text is not say specifically that Moses feared Pharaoh, just that he was afraid. Uh, Yes, he fled, but who wouldn't if your life was on the line? The author of Hebrews seems to capitalize on this ambiguity, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says that Moses was not afraid of Pharaoh. And we learn a key principle here that faith causes us to face our, our fears. So what was Moses afraid of? Many suggest, I agree, that his role of deliverer had been discovered and that the Israelites apparently did not accept that role and he was forced to leave Egypt with the task unfinished. Notice, by faith, he left Egypt. He fled to Midian where he stayed on the backside of the desert for 40 years as God prepared him to be a shepherd of his people. Yes, Moses had learned to be a leader, uh, an Egyptian leader, but that's not what God was looking for. He wanted Moses to be a leader of his people. And his impetuous pride, self-confidence, doing things his way had to be broken, following God and his timing and his leadership. But again, how was this an act of faith? Again, it seems clear that the Exodus account and Stephen's story in Acts, it seems that Moses somehow understood that he was to be a deliverer of the Israelites from Egypt. He was now ready to act, but God said no, and he drove him from Egypt, and by faith, Moses left trusting God would deliver him in his time and his way. 
Isn't that reading an awful lot into the text? What does the last line say? He fled and enduring as seeing him who is unseen. What, What does that mean? How does this leaving Egypt speak of enduring faith in a God he could not see because he understood his calling? He, and he trusted God for the timing, even if it meant leaving, even it meant, if it meant wandering in the desert and learning how to be a shepherd for 40 years, a different kind of leader. It was an act of faith. You see, how easy it would have been at that time to raise a slave result, but that was not God's timing, nor was it God's way. So he trusted God. That's the reason he left, not for fear of Pharaoh, but by faith, trusting God. And once he became humbled, largely unknown, he returned and delivered. And so I would ask you, my brothers and sisters, in what way are you afraid? In what way is God calling you to serve? We were talking about it this morning, gifted to serve. In, in what way are you afraid to serve? I want to encourage you to step out by faith and trust that God will lead you in his timing and in his way. Live by faith. Well, that brings us to our second point. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. It's now 40 years later. God has uh, appeared to Moses in that famous burning bush episode and commissioned him to go back to Egypt to, del- to deliver his people. It, it is now time. <laughs> you remember uh, the story. The author of Hebrews abbreviates it significantly. Moses shows up and tells Pharaoh to, to let my people go. At first, just to go out into the desert and worship their God. Pharaoh refuses, and so begins those ten plagues. You remember those, water to blood, frogs, lice, insects, cattle disease, boils, uh, hail, locusts, and the ninth one, darkness. Don't miss that all of those plagues were showing the superiority of the God of the Israelites over the paltry gods of Egypt. Copy the God of the Nile, heck, the frog god, Amun-Ra, the Sun God, God is superior over all of them. But they all led to the last plague found in Exodus 11 and 12. The last plague, you remember, was the death of the firstborn. The the death angel would go throughout the land of Egypt, and the firstborn in every house from the lowest slave, Egyptian slave of Egypt to Pharaoh's household himself, the firstborn of every person, and even every beast would die. But but, but God gave Israel a way out to avoid the death angel, This, this wrath of God being poured out on unbelieving Egypt. You know the story. You know it's called the Passover. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. Look at it with me. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is be the first month uh, of the year for you. It's about uh, March or April. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they're each to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be an unblemished, unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, doesn't matter. You shall keep it until the 14th day. Keep it for four days um, of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at, at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood. This is weird. You know, forget you know the story. Put the, 
take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the header board uh, uh, of the doorway of the house in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs. And this is the manner in which you shall eat it with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. You see, that's what he's been doing. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. <laughs> we know the story. Let's move on. They observed the Passover. They killed the lamb, spread the blood. The death angel passed through the land, and they were spared because he passed over them. Familiar story. Crazy story. Unbelievable story. Who would have thought the firstborn in every household would die? Now, do you like to be the firstborn in your house? Dead. Of course, they'd seen the other nine plagues, and they had been spared. So perhaps they believed this death angel thing. But who would have believed that a little blood would rescue them? Again, you're the firstborn in your house. Let's put just a little blood on the doorway, and you're going to be okay? How would you be feeling that night? Would you believe it? They did. By faith, he, leading the children of Israel, kept the Passover so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. <laughs> That's outlandish. It required faith. And then we remember, while our author does not say so here, he had said so earlier, without the shedding of blood, namely the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Paul and other New Testament writers make very clear that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our Passover lamb. Jesus, you see, died at Passover. As the Jews were sacrificing their hundreds of thousands of lambs, the Lamb of God was being sacrificed for them. And those who believe in, trust their lives to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God's wrath will pass over you. That story takes faith. It's kind of a crazy story. It is a story that is much maligned and even ridiculed today, really. You, you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? You believe that he lived a, a perfect life and died for your sins, such as those who, by faith, uh, trust their lives to him, uh, will be forgiven and have eternal life? You believe that? You bet we do. And we live by faith. Here's the question, do you? D do you believe the good news of the gospel? And I suspect on a Sunday like this, when it costs you to come to church, that most of you know the Lord. But here's a question for you. If you believe... Would you desert so quickly if it cost you to believe? This is his point. Why would you leave so quickly?
It brings us to the last verse and the last story in verse 29. Another familiar story. It advances the narrative yet further. After the death of the firstborn in the Passover, Pharaoh actually calls Moses and Aaron in and says, get out of here, leave Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians and left, heading toward the promised land through the Sinai Peninsula. They were, they, they were led by the Lord, <laughs> Lord himself. That's another miracle. And a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You really, I believe that. And the Lord led them right to the shores of the Red Sea. Hey, you remember this part. Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued the Israelites with his army. The Israelites were hemmed in. The sea in the front, the army of Egypt behind them. They, of course, began grumbling against Moses. That was par for the course. But listen to what Moses says in Exodus 14. As they are facing the Egyptian army and the sea is in front of them, listen to what Moses says to the people. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. <laughs> really? You believe that? I do. This was an amazing faith. When up against it, Moses not only believed God, that is, he had faith in God, but he articulated that faith to a grumbling group of people. But you know what's interesting? That's not exactly what the verse says. It says, by faith they. It's talking about their faith. They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry, dry ground. You know what happened. The pillar of cloud positioned itself between the army behind them and, and the people uh, to give the people time to escape. God caused a strong east wind to come and separate the sea, a wa wall of water on each side. Talk about an aquarium. And by faith, these grumbling Israelites, mumbling, grumbling, groaning Israelites entered the sea and walked across. That took faith. And by the way, this is the only act of faith recorded of these Israelite adults. They continued to grumble and complain. And in Hebrews 3, we read, they died in the wilderness because of unbelief. He's encouraging us, don't be like them. But there was this momentary faith lauded by the author, and they entered the tunnel of water and walked across on dry ground, but their faith was weak and momentary. It did not remain, and later they died in unbelief, and he's pleading with us, don't be like them. He's encouraging these Jewish readers who know this story well, to not waver in our faith, to live by faith to the very end of our days. And, and remember these stories, while familiar, don't treat them with contempt. They're stories of great faith, to encourage our faith and the power of God. I mean, who would have believed that God would deliver the Israelites from the, after the appointed Deliver left for 40 years? Who would have thought God would provide a way of escape from a death angel by the blood of a lamb? Who would have believed that the Israelites would walk through the sea on dry ground? That's, that's crazy. The same sea, by the way, the end of the verse says, drown the Egyptians. These are stories meant to both amaze us and to encourage us. My brothers and sisters, we have a strong and faithful God. 
We are supposed to be amazed with these familiar, miraculous stories. The encouragement is to believe these crazy stories because, after all, they happened. God can stop the earth on its axis. He can, he can spare people through the application of blood. He can divide a sea. He can walk on the same sea. He can calm a storm. He can raise people from the dead. And if these are true, and they are, He is encouraging us to believe we have a God who is able to fulfill His promises to His people today, no matter how crazy, no matter how opposed, no matter how miraculous. My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, live by faith. Believe in our great God until you die. Listen. And watch Him do the miraculous when He raises you from the dead.